0: As uh, Dan said, my name is Laura Stewart. Oh, sorry, I was told to be in front of the camera. Sorry. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll move. <laughs> Welcome. If you didn't get one of the surveys, which looks like this, which is on which are on the chairs, uh, I'll, I'll put some ones in the back of the room. So please fill that out. It really is more about getting to understand what you want out of this group, okay? And a little bit about yourself so that we can tailor the discussions each time we have a meeting towards you all. So I'd like to go ahead and introduce our panel. Um, over here we have Case. Case has been uh, with, <clears throat> excuse me, with, with the startup for about three years in the beginning, and uh, but then just moved on from there and I'd like to give him an opportunity just to say a couple of words about himself
1: and his experience. Hello, thank you for having me. Um, I, yeah, I worked at startup for three years as the only technical writer and I I had no idea what I was doing, so I'm kind of just here to like honestly share my experiences of what worked and what didn't and um, and I'm at I went on from the startup that I work at Google now. I work on web stuff. Okay. Cool, thank you. Thanks, thanks.
0: And next I'd like to introduce you to Alisa. Alisa um, has worked for several startup companies and um, is now, been with a number of uh, larger companies. I'll let you, Lisa, talk about that. Hi. Um, yeah, I, I got
2: to work at a startup pretty early in my career as a technical writer. And um, and since then I've done contract work in both uh, mostly like startup type environments within larger companies. Sometimes where I've been the only writer with, with a team of developers. and So it wasn't much different. Um, so yeah, and
0: it's a lot of fun. Challenging sometimes too. <laughs> thank you very much. And um, thank you. And next I'd like to introduce you to Daria. Daria describes herself as a startup addict, which I love. I love that. <laughs> um, and she's been working with a lot of different startups, so I'd like her to talk about that maybe a little bit about um, moving from IPO and acquisitions when we get into those questions. Okay. okay. Um yes, I've worked for a lot of companies you've never heard of.
3: Um, so yeah, I've almost worked exclusively for startups. Um, all of my big company experience that I have has been through acquisitions. So um, I can talk a little bit about you know the role of the startup tech writer as you move into a big company as well. I have some experience with that. I've been with failed startups. I've been with successful startups. Um, and it is a lot of fun. And a lot of hard
0: work. But um, I, I love it. <laughs> great thank you and finally I'd like to introduce you to Richard Hi, Richard, um, Richard is currently a freelance writer but he has got a tremendous amount of experience he has been a developer he's been a marketeer he's been a leader in a lot of different ways so Richard,
4: Richard why don't you tell us a little more all right um, I guess my uh, my first startup experience uh, grew out of my uh, being a um, graduate student in math in the 60s at Berkeley. And my thesis advisor had uh, a small company, and I mean really small. Uh, and I was the technical director of it for uh, about a year, and then uh, we had a falling out, and I had to go, uh, and I lost my uh, effort, everything. He dumped me, he stopped paying me, all of those things. And so I had to go out and get a real job, as a, and I went out and got a, pro, a programming job in Berkeley. Uh, with another startup, a small thing that had been started by a fellow you may have heard of by the name, of Bill Wattenberg, who uh, was uh, famous in the area. He was uh, he, he made his name by by attacking Bart and finding all the things that were wrong with Bart, and then he became a, uh, a top radio guy. But anyway, he had started. He and uh, Don Glazer, who were uh, who was a um, Nobel Prize winner in Berkeley, and started a small uh, clinical laboratory computing business, and I worked there for four years, and then I went on to another startup, and then I went on to another startup, and by the by the time I got, uh, I'd been ten years into my career. I've been working for nothing but startups, and uh, I did a lot of stuff since then, but um, only in the last year or so, I've done some <coughs> writing work for for startups. Uh, so I'll be happy to tell you all about anything you want to
0: ask about. Um, so, a couple of little housekeeping things. Um, if you've got questions, and when, not if, when you have questions, if you could come over here, we're going to try to record this. This is, by the way, being recorded. If you don't want to be recorded, please um, say goodbye now. Um, <laughs> because some people who are not able to be or asked, could, could you record the session? So we're recording it, there are a couple of cameras. One is facing the panelists, and one is here facing whoever is going to be asking the question. There's a little marker on the ground, um, and if you wouldn't mind coming up to that, that would be great. That way, the people in the recording can hear the question that you're asking. Okay. So um, let's get started. Does someone have a question they'd like to start off with? <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. Go
1: ahead. So one of the things that I'm um, always curious to over here. organizer blows it right away. So one of the
0: things that I'm always curious to hear is what your tool set is uh, at startups, because you can't afford like big fancy a lot of times you can't afford big fancy software. So
1: what what did you primarily use when you were at a startup? Yeah, I start. Uh, I s- when I first came on, they were like writing their docs in, in Google Drive, and it was just pretty much one step up from PDF. I'm like, this is insanity. So I uh, looked around and I was like really into the technical writing community. So I was like, oh DocBook is is what people use. Ooh. And I just like hacked together this system with uh I authored it all in DocBook and then I wrote like a, a custom XSL to uh, translate it into Twitter Bootstrap so I'd get like a really nice website. And it was just the most insane thing that I, don't, that I could have ever thought of. And it was like, and so part of the experience was I had a lot of free reign at my company to do whatever I wanted, which was one of my favorite things about working at a startup. But then I went back to the drawing board I'm like, okay, this is way too, like, custom and nobody knows how to use it, so after that I looked around, I think actually I went to write the docs and I, like, got more understanding that there's a lot of really good tools out there with, like, a really strong community backing, and I settled on Sphinx, and then I, like, deployed it with Heroku, so it was really quite simple after I did it. Maybe I'll like write a little guide on how I, how that workflow, um, how, how to set up that tool chain. But the big thing was for me was that it was free, and uh, good source control, and um, good documentation, and like a strong community backing from the tool set, so that I had some confidence that it would stick around after I was gone.
3: So, I've been at this a long time, so I've chosen everything from FrameMaker to, <laughs> to Sphinx to DITA. Um, the last two companies that um, I have come in to start their documentation, I have chosen DITA, and we use Oxygen um, as the XML editor, and then we have a number of transforms for, um, to generate web-based documentation,
2: um, as well as PDFs. So, um, I used to write grant proposals before I started writing uh, technical documentation. And I started learning FrameMaker, actually, when I was writing grant proposals because I got so tired of Word repaginating everything when you had to have all everything perfect. Um, so, um, so that was actually good for me because first startup where I worked, already had Frame. Um, and from there, I got interested in, in Ditto Open and Toolkit and that some and um, I really fell in love with stock just because it's really easy to use, which is partly why I started coming to write the docs. Uh, and um, there's one company where I'm working now that um, uh, probably is going to change over from uh, FrameMaker. They're sort of a late-stage startup. They'll change from FrameMaker. I was going to recommend stock, but they'll probably it might be better for them to have MadCap Claire just because of the the support that their, their staff writer has, and I'm just I'm a contractor, so I'm the one who's in love with Think stock, But I can see a lot of value to MadCap Flare because this year, um, they they started supporting HTML uh, five, so you know it, it's pretty good.
4: Well, uh, last uh, last year I spent a a stint as a uh, contractor for a small company called AppSera over on. Howard Street, and uh, we used um, something called the Middleman, which is a genera- which generates static websites, and we uh, all our source was in uh, Markdown, which we kept uh, in, in a Git repository, and and that was a very it was a very smooth workflow and uh, very convenient and completely inexpensive, and uh, it's as good a choice as any. Yes. I'm keen to hear that um, Andrew uh, put up a whole bunch of questions. Could, could. Oh, okay, I've
0: got, oh. I've got some of his questions. Come on, Here questions.
4: questions. Give us one of your questions. Tell me what
0: I asked. Are you asking? <laughs> one of um, so one of the questions that, that, that Andrew asked was, what skills does a startup tech writer need to succeed? Um, mm. And and we'll go from there. So I'll I'll ask each one of you a different question. So Rich, Richard, do you want to go with that one?
4: Well, I think I'm not sure it's a different skill set from any other walk of life. I mean, you have to be flexible. Um, You have to be able to prioritize. Uh, You have to be able to do a lot of jobs uh, and be willing to get outside your comfort zone and do things that. you might not have thought you wanted to do, and um, that's how you succeed at a startup.
0: So, um, Elise, what about um, how do you how do you meet the needs of such varied audiences that you're trying to write for? Well. Um,
2: I, I had been writing for, for varied audiences before I came into high tech, and so I got used to it. And um, I have a whole sort of soapbox that I've developed about using story craft in technical writing. So um, I, I got interested in, in the idea that really good technical documentation, even when you're addressing the needs of a very, very technical audience, uh, what I found that I could organize things using a story arc, and it would make more sense to people. And so, with a story, you have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And we've kind of, we've internalized story arc because of, most of us really like to watch movies. And the movie industry rediscovered things that other storytellers have known. And I believe that our brains are hardwired um, to understand things in some form of story arc. So, so. There, if you pay attention to some of some movies that, are, that, that have really wide audiences, um, especially you know, if you like science fiction and many of us do, then you know pay attention to the fact that there'll be different specific facts that, that get different kinds of people nodding their heads, right? And then if if you if you're if you're talking to people um, even in your own company who are working in different areas of the company, you, you pay attention to what you know the accountant what gets the accountant nodding their head and what does the, the senior developer what, what gets the senior developer there's nodding their heads? There'll be slightly different things. But if, like if, you know we're used to watching movies that, that can address the needs of large audiences and so you want to have things, you know you want to be including those key things where you've already seen a good response and that's actually how screenwriters work. They test their material. So we need to be using those same kinds of skills. So um, I could go on. I could just go on. Yeah but I think I think that gets the main point across.
4: Thank you. Just to follow, follow up on that,
0: uh, could you give an example of a story arc in technical documentation for a software product, just to kind of make it concrete for me?
2: Well, okay, one thing that I used in a presentation once was just, you know, how do you teach, you know, teaching somebody to use um, Terminal on, on a Mac, right? So you, you might just, just, you know, ask the question, where am I? You know, PWD, Print Working Directory, you know, and, and then show them, you know, this is, this is the beginning, you know. Where am I? You know, where do I want to go? You know, so there's a little bit of a journey, you know. So CD, you know. And then, and then you know, you want, you want to give them one other little thing pertinent to what they, they're trying to do, you know. It's like opening a, a document using Terminal or something like that. And then, you know, just so give them a little bit of an increase in the difficulty of understanding and I mean, terminal's not very difficult, but it's, it's something that some people find intimidating, right? And then, and then, you know, they perform something they didn't think they could do, that's the journey into the unknown, um, based on, on, you know, what, it's like, I can't do this. No, you know, and that's, that's the, the hero's journey. I can't do it, I'm, I'm not gonna be able to do it. Yes, you can, you know? Here, here's, here's one other little easy step, building on something that you've known. All right, you know, and then they do it a couple more times, you know. And then, uh, you know, if you have a longer story, then they then you have to have some sort of recap that helps people understand you've you've gotten there, you've achieved something. All right, so you know, that's that's basically how you, how you could design a really good tutorial. So the basic idea is, you know, something simple to start with. You know, give them give them some sample code, give them some code snippets, increase the complexity, give them a sense of uh, proficiency, you know, and, and you can you can make it long or short. Your stories can be um, serials, you know. How many of us binge watch Netflix? <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> so you can have a series of stories, a series of tutorials that really gets people into something, so that they're familiar with a new technology by the time they've got through that whole thing. So we have all the analogies in front of us.
0: I'll ask a couple
2: more questions, okay, and then back to you guys. Um, so, Gary, um, you work for a lot of startups, how do you avoid burnout? At a startup? <laughs> um, I don't
3: know. <laughs> I think I, I personally, like, I thrive on the energy of a startup, and um, I like chaos, and I like making order of chaos, so that's something that Eats me, <laughs> um, but that said, I think to avoid burnout, you have to set boundaries. Um, you know, I'm a I'm a mother and I have a family, so you know I cannot work till midnight. I I leave at five or six o'clock every night, um, and I think at this point in my career, most of the people that I've worked with, I've worked with at other start, startups as well. We kind of followed each other around, so. They kind of know what they're getting with me um, and and my and my boundaries and um, so I think that's important. It's just kind of setting expectations because startups will let you work as much as you want to work. <laughs> they will not not tell you to go home, you know, and stop working. So is that's something that you kind of have to take control of.
0: My question to you is: within a startup, often you're the only writer. Um, and where ideally would that writer sit, organizationally? Do you sit with engineering? Do you sit with marketing? What has worked and not worked with where you've been?
1: Um, my experience was mostly within the engineering department, and that was fine. But like honestly, for me, like a, I think one of the successful qualities of being uh, successful qualities of a, of a good startup writer um, would be like really connected and um, engaged with all of the different departments. Like somebody that I just talked to in like preparing for this panel, she, she was like, I, if somebody's not talking to me, I want to know why they're not talking to me. Like what's going on in that department? And Because it, it's all about just gathering all the information. So um, Wrap it up. Um, good technical writer. It's kind of arbitrary where you sit because you're going to be talking with everybody.
4: I'll ask question.
1: Okay.
4: So if you're at a startup and um, you're at the point where the
1: company needs to make money because investors have put a lot in, but it's not really showing that that uh, black line. You know, it's going downhill. At what
0: point do your nerves just give way and you decide to jump ship or do you just ride it out until
4: they, they decide to lock uh, the door? Uh, so, uh, I some stories there. Uh,
5: uh, there was one
3: startup I worked at where I went on vacation and I came back and they had failed while I was on vacation and I like walked into the office when I got back and my stuff was like in a little box and like everything was cleared out so um, sometimes you know it's coming and sometimes you don't um, so uh, I think if you bo- bo- most of the companies I work for I join because I believe in the product and in what they're trying to do so I there's only two places that I've worked that have um, failed um, and I I did stay till till the end till they kicked me out. Um, one one company that failed, they were acquired, which is just a way of um, VCs like shuffling things on the books, um, saying here you own this company now. But um, so that company uh, was in Arizona, and I did end up doing a three-month contract with them, helping them get their doc team going in Arizona, and, and then moved on. So.
5: Um, I tend to wait it out. All right. So I'm going to be the dreaded comment and then a two-parter question. Uh, Because I I worked with Laura and Matt, and we acquired a company over the summer. And I sort of inherited their non-existent doc set. Um, So I'm sort of wondering, has it been harder for you to get buy-in for writing documentation at all at these startups? And along with that, were you hired as a technical writer for these startups? Did they know, oh we need documentation, we need a writer, or did you sort of fall into that role from something similar? Sure, sorry.
1: Um I started like a very narrowly defined task like update screenshots and documents. And then I was just like really hungry, and I was like, "Yeah, I want to do QA, and I want to do uh, like illustrations for you guys." So I like went all over, which is actually just a quick aside. It was a really cool way to gain a lot of knowledge about the company. Like I probably had more wide uh, horizontal knowledge than anybody else in that company. Um, and what was your question again? Uh,
5: was it hard for you to get buy-in? When- to, to write the docs, like were people resistant to you asking them a million questions
1: to find out how the product worked, or were they sort of like, oh my God, yes, we need you to back please, I will tell you everything. Yeah, the where I worked was a Internet of Things company, so there was a cloud team, and there was an engineering team, and um, cloud team it was so abstract that I kind of by necessity had to interact more and yeah it was it was hard to get by on. They were like extremely strapped for time. I think in retrospect um, it's kind of just a matter of me like enrolling them into the importance of this documentation. And then for the engineering side I just like dug into the code. And it was really fun and I think that's a huge quality just like to be curious about everything, to enjoy the learning. Um, So, I kind of bypassed the whole buy-in thing just by figuring it out on my own. And then getting reviews is a lot easier than getting somebody to help me create a document.
3: Uh, So, in my experience, I have been brought in to start the documentation um, and sometimes training at these companies, so I think they the company, the startups that have hired me, have thought about it early, which is good. Um, the company I'm at now actually thought about it kind of late. They waited until they had launched and they have customers, um, and, and the customers are like, "Where's the documentation?" and then and then they thought about it. So. That um, that that's been a little more challenging because I you know I have a lot of, I came in with a lot of pressure and a lot of catch up to do but um, I think this is pro- probably the exception um, to the other places I've worked at where they have thought about it when they were still in stealth or um, still without customers. <laughs> so I, I kind of wanna.
2: To do my own give my own answer of the other question about getting information. Is yeah. there are times I've had to be really inventive? But over time, when you know I see the backside of people running away from me as I was walking towards their cubicle, <laughs> <laughs> um, I realized that. Um, most people really like to talk shop, so I started going out once a week with a group of developers and just getting them talking about their work, so that they got more accustomed to the idea that they're just sharing information about something they're passionate about with me. Um, and so, you know, that that's been a really important thing. You know, it, it still there are times when it's really hard to get information, but also I really like digging into code, and so I'll I'll you know go in and do code comments, um, uh, and then just sort of tag them and say, I'm not sure if I'm exactly right here, you know, could you take a look, and then they really appreciate the fact that I've been, you know, contributing something. Um, and it helps if you, if you really um, show them what it is to do excellent quality writing, because then what, what, what they're starting to see sometimes is that you're making them look good. So I've even had developers start coming to me with little snippets of sample code so that their own code will be in the documentation and they'll be able to point at it, you know, they're getting they're getting something out of it.
4: Well I kind of forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was I think
5: if you've had any struggles getting buy-in from, from people as far as writing the documentation.
4: I, I think usually they hire me to write the documentation, so I, I don't have trouble on, on that end. My my trouble is usually trying to figure out what's going on. Um, if you're in some sort of startup, especially if you haven't been there from the beginning, but you're they bring you in to help them with their documentation, um, there are people who have been. So immersed in it that they don't even know what what people need to know to understand it. They uh, they may work directly with customers. They may, uh, in fact, many startups are in the situation where uh, you send you send an engineer with the product and they they just keep working with it and, and get it set up. So so to to go to the point where you have general documentation that. Uh, that lets you, lets the company go to the next level because you don't have to send an engineer with each for a thing you sell. Uh, you really have to get in there, understand what's going on, pull it together, and then try to put it out there in a form that uh, people can use. And I, I don't know how to uh, make it any clearer than that, but it's uh, that's really the main thing that I find I have to do. Thank
5: you. Thank you guys for being here. Uh, my name Jesse, I work with Sarah
0: and Laura. Um, uh, I actually have a lot of questions, but I'll just want um, uh, for, for those of you who at the startups where why not have any customers yet, um, how are you identifying your customer
5: and who, you're, who to write
4: it for? And I'll take my answer off here. air. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, I can tell you that most places that don't have customers aren't really interested in having documentation. Oh. That's basically my, my answer to that. And uh, they don't really get interested in documentation until they get a few customers and they keep being pestered with questions.
2: So I I worked at an early stage uh, startup that um, had started off with, when I started they had one customer but we had to imagine other customers. But since there was one, I could imagine other customers that might be similar. Uh, With some differences, and that's basically the idea. You know, just use your imagination. Um, And also, you know, it's like, well, what customers do we want to have? You know, so that you're writing for those people that the company's trying to attract. Um, So you can study up on, on what kind of information is already available for the type of audience you're trying to attract, see what written materials they respond to, and and adopt, you know, adopt a style that that works for that audience. You know, basically, use your imagination. Um, Yeah, I've
3: started at a few companies that did not have customers yet. Um, What I usually do, well, most of the companies I work, have worked for are in the same market space um, in big data, and so they're all trying to solve some aspect um, a problem of big data, and so um, the customers are kind of all the same. Uh, So I I understand that audience pretty well, but um, one of the things I do is I look at the competitor's documentation. If there is some out there, other other similar products in the market space, see what they're doing. Um, I focus on the problem that this particular new technology is trying to solve. Um, also, a lot of times when a technology is really new, um, you might have to come up with some creative ways of explaining it and helping um, users make that leap from what the old way of doing things was and the new way of doing things. So. Um, for example, um, one of the products I worked on was um, a distributed database. So a lot of those users knew what a, knew what a database was, but distributed database was a new concept at that time. So, kind of um, helping them make that leap from the old to the new. Um, so a lot of concepts and tutorials and pictures. <laughs> <I> like pictures. <laughs>
1: Uh, Daria, yes. you, you mentioned that you had chosen uh, Dita at yes. uh, uh, the last, at companies. Yes. Well, why did you choose it, and how did you make the case?
3: Um, so I looked into um, the different requirements that the company had. Um, so the first, the first company I sh- had chosen it for, um, they were developing um, a data processing software. Um, They were going after government and financial clients, so there was a big requirement to have um, offline documentation or documentation that those um, clients could install in their data centers. They didn't have access to the internet, so using something like um, Confluence or another cloud solution was kind of out of the picture. it just seemed to meet a lot of the things that I wanted to do, even though I didn't know how to do them with it at the time, um, just kind of bringing up. And then um, once I kind of went down the road of picking it, it was kind of like a hard and fast lesson of figuring it out quick. I actually hired um, a contractor um, that's another rule of the startup, is know what you're not good at and, and get help. <laughs> um, I'm really good at writing content. I'm not so good at the tool stuff. So I, I brought in a contractor to um, make uh, my PDF transforms and do the, all that CSS stuff and make it pretty. And it was great. Did that
4: answer your question? Yeah. look to hear more.
1: <laughs> so how many of you are tools people? Kind of a tools guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean that the maker tools and stuff like that and do and you think it's important or it's important in some way, but uh, as a as the writer role. They, because they're two different things. I don't know. Thank you. Yeah, the, the it's just fun to like think through the different authoring workflows and path of least resistance. Um, I don't really have much to say about it. <laughs>
3: I think um, picking tools is a big part of um, if you come in as that first tech writer um, because you need to pick something that's gonna meet your needs right now and the needs in the future. Um, So I've been through a few acquisitions and part of that acquisition process is that other company looking at how you do things and seeing how easy that's gonna be and what kind of information that's, that's part of the due diligence process of getting acquired. So you kinda wanna think about yeah, you, can, you need to get started fast, and, and but you also kind of want to use best practices and, and take a look at what big companies are doing, as well. A lot of big companies are using DITA and um, XML.
2: So, um, I prefer writing to working with tools, but I can't tell you how many times I've come in as a contractor and the tools are broken. And um, so, and because I like to tinker, I mean, I was a girl who took apart my mom's sewing machine and put it back together, and there were a couple of parts uh, that I couldn't find out where they fit, but the sewing machine worked fine, so, so you know, I, I do really enjoy tinkering. Um, and so, you know, it does take me away from writing a little too much, but
4: there it is. Uh, well, back back when I was a developer, I was a tools person. I I liked uh, I wrote debuggers and operating systems and stuff like that. But um, uh, I haven't really done a lot of tools work in in as a writer ever, ever since uh, since the FrameMaker days when I I used to do uh, a lot of template work and get those things right and that that was kind of fun. But um, no, I uh, I think uh, we have specialists who do the uh, do the tools now. If you want, if you're going to do data, uh, uh, as story says, we you need somebody to come in and and really set it up for you, rather than trying to figure out uh, how to use the open toolkit and how to do the transforms and how to get the kinds of output you want and all of that stuff. It's uh, it's it's just, uh, it, if you if you focus on that, you'll never get your work done.
0: I have a follow-up question on this. Um, when you've gone to startups, have they initially dictated to you what they wanted, what tools they wanted to use, or did they let you have leeway in choosing the, the offering tool? Yeah. Um, so, um, it's been both.
2: Different startups have different ideas. Sometimes they're people who have a clear idea of what tools that they want to see used. And other times they want information from me to help them make a decision. And I like to include um, as many people as possible in in
0: decision making if I can do it that way. And have any of them said you must use this or I want you to use open source only? Have you had any of that happen?
2: Well, no, it's usually it's, it's more like what's the cost and what do we get for, from paying, for, for paying that money right. and then, you know, what are we going to have to pay consultants if we adopt open source, you know, how are we going to maintain it, blah, 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 so there's a series of questions and it's basically cost-benefit analysis um, and different things make sense for different companies, you know, you, certain things, you, um, you know, you, you want to make sure that people are going to be around, if you're going to use open source, But it's when there's open source and nobody's around to maintain it is when somebody like me is brought in and Mm -hmm. surprise, surprise, the tool's broken, you know. Well, yeah, I do know how to fix it, but you know what, it's taking me away from the writing that needs to be done, too. And so, you know, sometimes people don't plan um, really well to support open source. They think it's low cost or no cost when they really need to write something into a plan. And sometimes people don't want to hear that, you know, so in that case, if I really see that people don't want to hear anything about the real cost of open source for writers, I'm going to do something like recommend, you know, that they buy a, a, a completely baked product because I want to have compassion on the writer who's going to be trying to pick up the pieces later on. <laughs> so, yeah.
3: Um, all the places I've been, I have been able to make the decision myself, but um, I definitely have had to take um, into consideration what other people thought and wanted. Um, the one company that I chose, Spinkstock, uh, was, um, one of the requirements was they had an open source component and they wanted developers to be able to contribute to that, um, developers outside of the company, in the community, so they, need, they needed something um, that developers, Right in, and um, Stocks, it, was pop, it was a popular choice. so um, that's why we went with that at that company. Um, so I, again it goes back to the requirements and like you know what is the audience of the product, how the product's going to be delivered, who's going to be using the product and how they're going to consume it? Um, that should feed into your decision about tools rather than just picking what's, what's popular. you've you kind of got to think ahead of everything that's going to
1: happen. Yeah, I had leeway to to make my decision. Um, how to what tools to use? Requirements were a big one for us. Like there was um, not they they wanted some kind of protection behind some of the documentation. Um, and like early on in the requirements, like we we looked at Confluence, but the whole user-based system and, like, the I think it was the potential for some customers to see other customers. That was, like, a, a deal breaker for us. So... Um, and then I went with, I like Markdown approaches, because it's just completely um, taking over, like, all developer documentation that I see nowadays is marked out. So everybody knows it, so there's no upfront investment compared to uh, DocBook or DITA for me, like, no engineers. Engineers, from my experience, they despise XML things. like better working for small companies or large companies and why? What part of your personality meshes with the different locations?
3: I like small companies. Um, I like small companies because um, it's less about developing documentation and it's about developing a company if that makes sense so it yeah, you're you're there to write the documentation or develop the training, but you're also kind of invested in this company being successful, and there's this camaraderie and team binding together that goes with that. And um, you know, I like being able to walk into the CEO's office and ask him what he did over the weekend. It's 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 a family. It's um, I so I like small companies. I like that my input is affecting a lot of different areas of the company besides just these books that you know come out.
2: Um, I've worked in large companies but usually in, in sort of startup type groups in the large companies and so that's more what I relate to. It's almost a small company field and you know um, so
0: you know I really um, Sort of bond with
2: the engineering team in some way uh, if I'm in a contract long enough, and that's something I think it's similar but a little different from what you're saying. You know, it is a, it is kind of a sense of family. So um, I like to feel useful to actual people, and you know, by working in a in a group that has a sort of cohesiveness, I, I get that sensation that I'm really doing something. That's helpful to a group of people who I really like. So
4: you know, because it's helping them sell their product. Well, there's good and bad in everything, um, and I like uh, I like big companies sometimes, but I think more more I like small companies. Big companies are good. They uh, they don't. They put a predictable amount of pressure on you, they pay you, you know, they, they're they not going to go out of business generally. Uh, um, the, the small companies, uh, as Daria says, you can go in and talk to the CEO, and that's fun. And uh, it's nice to get to know the developers and be um, on a close relation with them or understand the problems they're working on. And in a small company, you can really do every job, basically, or you sometimes you have to do every job, so the, the pressure is bigger on a small company, uh, the, the sense of uh, knowing the people is better, uh, it, it, it's really, I mean, it's just good and bad and everything, and, uh, wherever you wind up, and you know, you can find the good part of it, And uh, but if you really want your work to be part of your social life, you want a small company.
1: So, yeah, with the the startup, for me, like, I mean, that was my first job, and I'm just so thankful for having that, um, it, it, like, taught me such qualities to, like, dig in and do whatever it takes to be, like, really persistent, and I'm, like, carrying those over into my current job, and, like, that stuff about the, the impact of talking to the CEO, or, like, I would go to the, the... Embedded engineering lead, I'm like, this API is garbage. We gotta fix this. And then they would fix it, and I'm like, yes. I, I helped. And, <laughs> and uh, that for sure, that like building a product up from the ground, that's really exciting. Um, and then I, like, I don't know, uh, Google is like not your typical large company, I think. And it kind of feels like a startup still, but with not without the resource constraints. And what I like there is that I'm, like, really um, digging into my products and mastering them without all of the the other stuff. So back when I was at the startup, I I loved having my hands in everything. And right now I'm loving the opportunity to, like, really dig in and, and master my two products.
4: So you can, this can happen in a big company too. I I uh, was documenting a um, a graphics processor chip that National Semiconductor was developing, and um, basically I went uh, went to the um, development team and I said, "You, the way you've laid out this instruction architecture is inefficient, and if you just change this or you." Uh, you you could you could have general purpose registers instead of just special purpose registers and so forth, and, and so they changed it. And so I mean you can do you can do the same thing in a big company, but uh, you really have to have the relationships with the people who are uh, who are in a position to uh, to do the things that you want to see implemented. So I have a question about
5: distribution. So um, I've worked with some startups where you know. We think our product is so secret and so special that we can't let anybody see the docs. So, you know, nothing on the web, nothing, you know. And, um, you know, to me the least secure thing is a PDF where they just send the whole thing to somebody. But, you know, how do you uh, make the case for making some of the documentation public? Do you start with all of it or a subset? What areas are best to start with and, and so on? We well, you know, we have like a web portal, but it's behind a login. So it's really hard for some of our end users to get to it. You know, the name support people can get in, but you know, how do you get that to people? Thanks. Yeah, that's a um,
3: tricky thing at a lot of stars. I am all for having the docs public. Um, a lot of times the founders are sensitive about that. Um, my last company, it was two years in, they finally, did, you know, I won the battle to make the docs public. Um, Where I'm at now, it is behind the login, so um, I think just keep asking (laughs) Uh, at a certain point of the company's maturity, they might feel like they're ahead enough with their IP that they don't have to be so secretive. I actually think it leads to more sales to have the docs public um, because people can self-educate and they can see if the solution meets their needs, especially if your docs are good. You want them out there. Um, It's going to bring in more more customers, um, but again, it's like...
1: I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that thing about sales is your ally. Um, our sales team, I was like, he went to me, in, or the, the, the head of sales, and he's like, we're getting so many leads from this, so like, hook it up to analytics if you can, and be like, look at all this traffic that's coming to it. And then the sales guy is going to have a lot of pull in the company. Um, if you can get stories of users getting confused, then you can go to the CEO and be like, "Is this what you want?" <laughs> like, wow. And then uh, I kind of push them, and I'm like, um, "Yeah, if the IP is really that sensitive, but a lot of times it's not." And I just like made the case that uh, let's work more on the projects, like, like. Well, that's that's an aside. And then I think the last one, yeah, just keep pushing them. Like a lot of the time it's so not necessary to to have it behind the the portal, the login. So this is
2: just sort of an edge case. There are a couple times I've worked uh, for people who are doing certain kinds of security. Excuse me, and so it'd be irresponsible to, to um, actually get too much information about certain things out. So you know, it's just that's an edge case. I don't think it happens very often, but you know, occasionally you do, you, you do find that kind of thing.
4: Well, this is one of my hot buttons. Uh, I. Th- what I tell people who want to keep their docs secret is that your competition already has your docs. You're only keeping it secret from your customers. Um, it's 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 stupid. If 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 your salespeople are out there, they're putting the, those docs in the hands of somebody who's giving it to your competitors because they're in there too. Um, so really, it's it's it just makes it harder on you to keep trying to keep things secret, trying to put passwords on things, trying to encrypt them, whatever it is, that's all a lot of work and I don't see any benefit from it. So those uh, of you who have been a solo writer of, at, a, at a small company, have you been
0: tasked with Building out a doc team, and, and it, it either as a manager or as as a you know as another member of the team, and how
1: what lessons have you learned from that?
2: Well, I haven't built out a whole team, but I helped hire a couple of writers, and it was a fun experience, and I got to mentor a couple of younger writers, so I really enjoyed that.
3: Yeah, if a, co- if a company's doing well, you get to hire people. <laughs> so yeah, I always look forward to that moment when the company's growing enough that um, it is time to build out a team, and I have done it at a couple different places. Um, usually, uh, it comes when your customers start ramping, because the more customers you have, the more they need information, and you know the faster releases go and. And they start growing engineering, and it's just natural that docs and QA and all the other functions grow um, along with that. So, yeah, that's a happy time.
1: Um, didn't build one at RAN, but I've talked to a couple of people because I'm curious about this myself. And a big one was like selling the value of a writer as this person that has this unbelievable. Uh, cross-sectional understanding of the company, and that, that's, it, that's a really, big asset. And then, um, taking it on as, taking the writer on as, like, this fresh pair of eyes that's gonna pour over and, uh, um, I'm losing my train of thought. <laughs>
4: I forgot the question was. It was
0: about building a doc team. And have you had a situation where you're the sole writer and you've been asked to build a doc team? You know, how
4: do you go about that? No, I haven't had that situation. Although I've had to mentor a lot of uh, new writers. Or at one point, I mentored four Indian writers who uh, took over my job.
1: <laughs> <laughs> one more question here, and then I'm going to wrap it up with a couple. Um, so thinking about scenario where you first enter a new company or you first encounter the product and you need to grasp an understanding of it, what do you find to be the most useful source of truth for what that application or product does? So where do you look for being the most accurate, the most up-to-date, and the most comprehensive, be it UX, an original specification, a test script, where's the source of truth?
3: The product itself.
1: Yeah. As expressed by what the code? Um, I usually, well,
3: I usually install the product like the first or second day that I get there and play with it. I, I know the goal of the user. I know like what I'm trying to achieve. Um, be it like an analytics report, getting my data in. I do have a little data background, so um, I feel like I feel the pain of the users. Um, so I I think you have to experience the product firsthand and see if you can meet the goal that you're trying to achieve with it. And if you can't, that's where you start kind of polishing those edges. Um, I think that a lot of times you, when you come into a startup, there's so much that needs to be done, especially if like in the situation I'm right now that they have customers already. Where where do you get started? You start with what's hard. and And try to do like little things that are quick that you can get out to to buy you time to 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 build the big thing. So um, you know, a huge installation guide that covers every little thing is going to take a while. But I can make a quick checklist of like what are all the prerequisites that you need, and here's like the five high-level steps in in a day. and then it buys me time. So it's kind of a a trade-off. I think the source of of truth is the product and the goal of the the user in making sure that you are getting information out that
1: helps the user achieve the goal. The goal of the user, for sure, 100%. Uh, There there was like internet of things, devices, so like build it, build a little uh, thermostat connected, controlling the stuff, and for me, I would just build these little applications and that was the funnest part of the job, just tinkering around and figuring them out. And uh there's so many times when I would build it and use the API and um like go back to the spec. The spec was completely wrong, like in terms of signature of you know, like API signature of the thing, and also just like functionally how it worked, how it behaved. My experience was Engineers are implementing the whole system and they, they might not actually be like, taking the time to, to be their own end user and, and try out the product. Um, source code is also helpful to dig in and be like, this is what it actually does, but 100%. Go step into your customer's shoes and, and try to create that goal. So I agree
2: with everything that they've said just like like in some places I've done a daily build, I come in, in the morning, build a product, you know, see see a couple of bugs, file the bugs for the engineers so I've got more friends. Um, and you know, really work with the product. But I just wanted to tell a little story that is, is kind of fun in the telling is that um, it, at one startup they wanted me to write a whole you know, big document and it kind of needed to be done so that it could be checked off the checklist, but I understood that the actual customer already knew the product really well and what they wanted was a cheat sheet that was just one page printed out on two sides. And so I quickly got that cheat sheet out for them I understood exactly what they wanted and they were elated. So, you know, I got like a little gold star from the, from the customer and then I went and I completed the other thing that everybody wanted me to do, which was, you know, a much bigger document, but, you know, please customer first, understand their needs.
4: Well, I, I, I don't really want to address that exactly, but I, I, it just brings to mind the question of sample code. Um, which uh, is always a problem, and the, the reason it's a problem usually is that the uh, the developers, the engineers, often have no idea how the product's going to be used or is used, and so um, they're not a good source of sample code. And you're probably not a good source of sample code either. And so, where do you get it? And uh, often the answer is you have to find a customer who willing to
0: share some sample code. So I have have two follow-up questions to wrap things up with. Um, One is about surviving an IPO, surviving an acquisition, when you're in a startup situation. So if any of you have experience with that, we'll talk about that. And then the last question is about, so you want to be hired by a, a startup, and how do you go about thinking about how to negotiate your package with them? Um, what are some of the things, some advice you could give on that? So well, the first question is about surviving an IPO or, or an acquisition. So I know uh, Daria, you have some experience with that. Could you help us uh, yes. uh, uh, talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so most of the
3: exits of my startup have been acquisition. Um, so I think when there's a lot of confusion when an acquis- acquisition happens and everyone's like, how. How are we gonna get the next thing going and you do it this way and we do it this way? I think um, it's important just to reach out to your counterpart um, on the acquiring company side and introduce yourself and start the conversation. I'm looking at you, because I know <laughs> you're going through this right now. Um, start the conversation. Um, sometimes it's, it's forced that you get along because you know the, the, the company that acquires you wants to put something out right away. Um, I had a situation where six weeks after we were acquired, we were gonna put out an appliance with the acquired software and hardware, and so we had to work together and, and figure it out. Um, I think also your role is, um, you, you have all the information about the product. You, have, you know a lot, and, and sharing that information um, with the field teams and offering little tutoring sessions or training um, to make everyone feel comfortable. Um, and then, and then you're seen as valuable too, because you're helping. That's
5: my advice. <laughs> okay, so Richard.
4: Well, I think the que- the question was about uh, negotiating a package, and I think the uh, the important thing there is, well, there are two important things. Well, one is to understand the value of each aspect of what they want to offer you. Uh, it's sometimes it's hard to put a a value on founders stock I mean it could be worthless it could be billions you know you don't you don't always know Um, but you want certainly not to put all your eggs in one basket so you don't want to be in the position that if this company goes out of business you have nothing so often uh, in companies uh, you get stock options and you get maybe employee stock purchase plans and things like that. uh, It's not wise to just to hold on to all of that stuff usually, Um, usually it's best to be diversified in your investments and that means uh, just don't put all your eggs in one basket. Now, As far as evaluating what they offer you, um, I don't have good advice for that.
3: <laughs> um, so a lot of people think when you go to a startup you have to take less salary because they're giving you equity that's not true the, the startups pay market value for the jobs and you should expect that so if they're saying oh well you know we're gonna give you this because you're getting all this equity I wouldn't um, go I wouldn't accept that <laughs> so I would say like no know, know what your market value is worth um, I'm lucky because I'm married to a compensation consultant, so oh, every time okay. I talk, he writes for me, so I know exactly what I'm worth. Uh, so I say, know your market value, and 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 don't take that argument that oh, we're giving you equity. And as far as equity is concerned, I I would say that you know you you are as valuable as an engineer in the company, and you should, um, especially at this stage, is it's an important role, so you should be compensated um, along those lines. So the, the companies that I have started with, usually I get less than 1% share of the company. It's anywhere from a half of 1% to a quarter of 1%. Sounds really small, but um, for the stage that I come in, that's kind of the average of what an engineer you know, a, a gets and what a technical writer gets. Um, that's just been my experience. So it's, it's less about the number of shares and about the, the percentage ownership
1: of the company. Yeah, I mean, all I just have to say is there's an incredible demand for technical writers. So, that us being on par with engineers is like, hold your ground with that one for sure.
0: Can you ask them individually afterwards? Okay. So we have we we have a little time time timeline here. So I want to thank the panel for coming. I really appreciate you all.